Hi, this is Justin Edinburgh, and you're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. Welcome to this week's NL Full-Time Podcast. There was no National League action this week, only in the North and South, we'll be reviewing that. We also have a, a special guest on later in, in Slough Town midfielder Scott Davis, and there was also the FA Trophy Games from yesterday, and it was fair to say there was a few shocks knocking about. Joining me to look over this is Rob Worrell. Hello, Rob. Yeah, hi, Luke. And we have also got, he's known as Bucks Writer on Twitter, it is Richard Wharton. Hello, Rick. Hello there, Luke. Nice to speak to you again. We've also got Tom Lang. Hello, Tom. Hi, Luke. Hi, guys. There was a few shocks in the trophy yesterday, and I'm trying to think of where one was, Rich. It might have been the game you were at. <laughs> um, there may have been, Luke. Yes, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, Telford uh, got a, a terrific 2-1 win at Hartlepool United yesterday. Um, I suppose you'd have to rank that as one of the uh, surprises of the day. I think probably Blythe and Spennymore uh, uh, tucking care of Sutton and Boring Wood as well are probably up there. But the fact you were away from home makes it even more impressive. And you look at a Hartlepool lineup, and it's a strong lineup. Like you said, Liam Noble was missing, but not through being rested. He's actually out injured. Apart from that, it's, it's more or less a team that have been playing in the National League week in, week out. And as a front and a non league paper said, on Sunday morning Bucks Fizz and it was a champagne performance it was yeah I mean we were uh, ahead after about seven minutes and and, and to be honest we, uh, Hartlepool didn't really get at us too much I, I kept waiting especially through the second half they made a couple of substitutions at half time and I thought right you know, this, I'm getting ready for the storm here. They're surely going to sort of put us under some more pressure, and it never really happened. And then we got a second goal with about 20 minutes or so to go, and and then probably saw the game out quite comfortably from there on. Could you sense the, the restlessness amongst the Hartlepool crowd? I mean, Richard Money's apologised to supporters, and he, he basically said he's got to be careful that there's going to be a lack of confidence at home. I mean, could you sense the frustration, especially with you getting an early goal? Uh, yeah, you could hear it in the crowd, most definitely. You know, it, it wasn't uniform; it wasn't across everybody. There was some, there was certainly some boos at, at half time when they went off, and a few more at full time, and and just little bits of you know displeasure from people in the crowd. You know, pull your clueless, one or two things like that. It's not going to help in the situation that they're in, but obviously you understand why people, you know, bent their frustrations like that. Yeah, another other repressive results. They said the National League North have come out of this with uh, with flying colours this weekend because Blyde Spartans beat Boreham Wood again. Really strong team put out by Luke Garrard, and he said they failed on all fronts up at Blyde. And it, that with Blythe, with Boreham Wood being mid-table, Rob, uh, the trophy probably would have been something that they've targeted. So that's a massive blow for them. No, unquestionably kept a keen eye on. On, uh, everything yesterday really it was lovely uh, sat at home uh, just me and me well I was going to say me and Jeff on the couch actually it was me and the two Jeffs I, I couldn't I couldn't choose between them I mean there was the old favourite Jeff Stelling and, and obviously always want to see his reaction when Hartlepool score or concede one and I, I, I missed it unfortunately <laughs> towards the end because uh, I watched the other side with Jeff Brazier reporting from Concord Rangers and it was interesting to see I think what lent me towards the BT Sport coverage yesterday was uh, the fact that they uh, had a, a reporter at both uh, a National League North and a National League South game, which was interesting. It's almost like the, everybody, though, the whole world seems to dismiss the FA Trophy, don't they? I, that, 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 that's the one thing I don't quite get my head round. Have either of you got thoughts on that? It, I, I did think about that going into the weekend. Uh, I, I speculated about what kind of side Hartlepool might put out, and I, I guess the same might go for other teams. You, you think if there's teams like Salford, Late Orient going well at the top of the National League are they going to be tempted to to rest players are they going to see the, the, the trophy as a secondary consideration but you know they've come through and, and I think what's notable about the teams from the National League North and the National League the ones that are still in it is, is they all look like they're teams that are in good form and have a lot of confidence at the moment Absolutely the thing with the FA Trophy is that you don't tend to get the very big you know, very big crowds in the early rounds. But if you can stick at it and progress through, it can become a huge, uh, uh, have a huge impact on your season. Obviously, with a final at Wembley as well. And, you know, for so many clubs, they've never played at Wembley, and that would be a huge prize. But uh, you've got to graph through the early rounds. I think most of the National League sides uh, put out pretty strong teams. Um, you're right, Borenwood will be in that category. They'll be itching to get back to Wembley. They'll think that possibly, you know, it'll be hard pushed to to catch the fringes of the playoff chasing side could have got back to Wembley that way now they can't I, I noticed as well another team who put out a full strength team were FA Cup heroes last week Barnet who 
we had Callum Reynolds on the show last week after their FA Cup heroics at Sheffield United. They named an unchanged team from that game against Sheffield United as they went through against Dorchester Town. So credit to Barnett for that. They 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 just about scraped through in the end by two goals to one. Um, I wanted to mention the heroic effort of a couple of sides that didn't win and didn't even score yesterday. But, you know, they went so, so close. So Bedford Town, they were nil-nil at Chesterfield on John Sheridan's first full game uh, in charge uh, until the 89th minute and went down to a Tom Denton goal. And so for Chesterfield, great for them. Uh, another end of, of game drama at Proact. So they progressed, but great effort from Bedford. Smallest team left, I think, in the competition. And also Biggleswade Town, who were probably a little unluckier uh, by all accounts. They lost 1-0 to a, a Nick Horton strike just before half-time up at AC, AFC Files. But Biggleswade had a real go in that game, pretty much matching Files uh, for, for shots and efforts. They had more corners as well. They had a real go at it. And looking at the uh, Files side, it was pretty strong. You know, Rowe and Tazdemir up front, Phyllis Kirk, Horton, Montrose in midfield. A couple of changes in defence for them. But uh, those sides scraped through past their potential banana skin. Dave Challenger wasn't so complimentary about his team as well. He, he's basically saying that they shouldn't have won the game. And he said Biggleswade should have gone through. And he was really scathed. And he said if they play out that in the next league games, then they'll get knocked out. But Richard, I want to ask you, we had Sam Elliott on the other week. And he, he made the point that the National League North is probably one of the strongest leagues in England in terms of you can put a side from League Two in and they'll struggle. Hence why York are maybe not doing as well. Kidderminster has struggled. Stockport County has struggled for years. If Chesterfield, if they drop down into it, they won't find it easy either. I mean, you see all these teams week in, week out. They try to stay full-time thinking they can just go back up. But it's not that easy, is it? It isn't, no. And it's funny, I had this conversation with somebody from Telford only last week. Uh, and I think probably it might have been somebody from Chesterfield as well. And, and, and we spoke about this, whether teams think that by staying full-time that that will just naturally give them an advantage and and they will you know find it easy e- even teams like Salford uh, coming into the National League North and file it they didn't go straight through that division it took them you know a couple of seasons to, to get through there even with the resources they have and so yeah if you you you're a team that hasn't got that momentum if you're on a on a downward trend and you find yourself in National League North and yeah you can find it a struggle Just going back to the likes of, of, of Sutton and Boreham Wood I mean Sutton had five players missing again I think there was there was doubts over them so rather than, than risk them they didn't play them but it says a lot about the, the National League North Rob doesn't it when you've got mid-table National League teams or teams pushing for, for, for the playoffs going up to these National League North sides and and not getting through and maybe a lot of it is is about attitude at the end of the day it can I think it always comes into it doesn't it in these situations uh, the mentality side of it that that really caught my note yesterday I mean it's undoubtedly a fantastic uh, result for Telford winning at Hartlepool that's for sure but uh, quite rightly I think Spennymore deserve uh, you know equal plaudits that's a brilliant score they didn't just scrape through 3-0 against Sutton and uh, yeah slightly depleted Sutton's side but uh, fantastic from Spennymore interesting though it's a little bit like Groundhog Day isn't it if I remember right and I'm not the expert on the North here but last season they were up and around the playoff positions in the National League North they had a good run again in the FA Trophy didn't they and, and, and in some quarters, that might have just cost them a little bit towards the end when obviously they had to, to, to play the games in hand. So I hope that uh, one way or the other they can succeed this season because they've been a breath of fresh air. Only their second season at that level, isn't it, Luke? Yeah, it is. And as you said, the trophy run cost them last season. I mean, I know there were the video that Jason Ainsley did afterwards. He said it was the, um, the best performance he's, he's had as spending more manager. And the reporter said to him, well, if we go up next year, we know we can prove we can do it against these teams. And he's like, we'll take it um, one game at a time. But I think, Rich, for Spennymore, it's a case of maybe learning from last year and managing games better. Uh, they'll want to do well in the trophy, but then they'll obviously have to... Those games will build up for them, won't it? Yeah, they will. I think that that's, they had some problems with the playing surface last year, but that wasn't unique to them. There was an awful lot of teams. Telford lost games to, to, to the weather as well. And, and that... FA Trophy run combined with that going well at the top of the league it, it did just take it out of them I think we played them in their last but one game of the season and you could see just how leggy the entire team was and, and yeah that ultimately cost them I think Jason Ainsley strengthened the squad there this season and they're, they're a very attacking lineup. 
they 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 uh, they, they tend to go for it. I mean, we we got a, a two one win against them last weekend, Telford, and we were exceptionally pleased with that result because you know they they don't travel away from home and shut up shop. They they come and have a go, and um, you know to get three points off them, we were thrilled with. Does does Brackley winning a trophy last year give teams like Telford and, and Spenny more hope of going to Wembley and not just turning up at Wembley but winning it? Oh, absolutely, I think it does. Um, I was fortunate enough to to be at uh, the finals day last year I'd kind of made a vow to myself that perhaps I wouldn't go there unless it was Telford but when we were offered tickets we took them up and and you couldn't help get carried along in how thrilling that was for Brackley and you kind of looked at it and thought oh I'd love that to be us one day and and now when you, you're through to this stage of the competition you start to think to yourself well maybe it could be us and you look at a Brackley side as as well drilled as they are and 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 you think to yourself, well, it, it's possible. You know, we've got uh, Theo Street in our side. He was a, a part of that Brackley side last year. You know, he's been there. He could tell you what a great experience it was. And I'm sure the rest of the lads will be feeding off that. Also in the FA Trophy over the weekend, some, some games that caught my eye. I did have a listen, actually, to the commentary of uh, Wrexham against Orient, two of the big guns in the National League. Uh, and I've got to be honest... Uh, certainly from what I heard it was a dire first half but uh, Dummerfield hit the foot of the post for Wrexham and they could have gone ahead but they didn't and Orient up the game just enough really in the second half James Brophy who caught my eye uh, when I watched Orient earlier in the season he can make things happen and uh, he really runs at defences he got pulled down for a penalty which uh, Matt Harold stuck away and Orient progressed great week for them progressing in the FA Trophy at Wrexham securing uh, Justin Edinburgh on a two and a half year contract and a big splash headline on the front page of the non-league paper as well this weekend to say that Macaulay Bond has got interest from five Premier League clubs but right now is going nowhere. I know Josh Caron has been linked only with a move so they won't want to they'll either want to lose well ideally they won't want to lose either of them but if they're going to lose one they can't lose both can they really? Not really I mean uh, as, as big a, an animal as Orient are at this level you know, really and truly, if if one of those Premier League sides, or even indeed the Championship or League One side, which, to be quite frank, from Macaulay Bond, I think would be a better move. You know, come in with a serious offer, then uh, you know, Leighton Orient might might uh, well have to talk uh, business. You know, and it might well be that the kind of agreement they that they go for is one Bond kind of go, go comes immediately back on loan to the end of the season. I think that's. The kind of move that, uh, that 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 can happen in that kind of situation, although there's always a risk, of course, of the player picking up a, a serious injury in the meantime. Just to wrap up the FA Trophy, a couple of games that we really ought to give uh, some mention to. Another couple of really informed uh, in the National League. Salford managed to dispose of Dagenham and Redbridge, who've been on a great run. A nice, solid 2-0 win for Salford. So they progress uh, on all fronts, very much back in the title race. And we'd be shot, wouldn't we, by the housewife's favourite, by Chris, who can't be with us this weekend, if we didn't mention... Uh, Stockport County and in particular Matty Warburton I kept thinking that there was uh, something wrong with my scores out yesterday when it just kept flashing up every couple of minutes that Warburton had scored but it was true Patrick in the first 28 minutes four goals altogether 5-0 win for the Hatters against Truro City and I, I just thought to myself poor old Truro City that's got to be one of the longest bleakest journeys home from a game for their players management and supporters yesterday yeah, I think they were a bit depleted on players in terms of with illness and injury and just the long trip in general, I think. So, yeah, it wasn't yeah. A, a great day for them. Yeah, Truro manager Lee Robinson was philosophical in defeat. Uh, there was a massive gulf between the two sides. I know now what I need to aspire to. As for Jim Gannon, well, he was cock-a-hoop. It's the closest thing to the perfect start of the year we could get. This team can constantly grow and evolve and improve, but we have to keep working hard. Mm, we'll come on to stop put chances in a minute when we look at the National League North just one other, other game I wanted to point out was Step 3 versus Step 4 and it was Ramsbottom which is near Bury for those who aren't sure at home to Weymouth and that was a 2-2 draw which means Ramsbottom have to go down to Weymouth on Tuesday night good luck <laughs> yeah that'll be another long trip and uh, keeping a close eye on, on Weymouth they were twice ahead I think in that one but pegged back and uh, a great day for Ramsbottom yesterday as you say it'll be a lot harder for them in the replay I don't know if he listens to this podcast but we must get Mark Molesley on at some point to talk about Weymouth they're having another good season and uh, 
Hopefully we can talk to him soon. So now we're going to look at the National League North. Hi, I'm Adam Summerton. You're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. And in the National League North, Rich, it was a good day for Charlie. They won by four goals to one after against Altrincham after falling behind, which means they are now six points ahead of Bradford with a game in hand on them. Yeah, that's a, that's a big result for Charlie. I think that's something like their fifth win in their last six, something like that. They they seem like they had a little bit of a wobble, but that they've, they've certainly corrected that and you know, it, that's that's a potentially big lead at this stage of the season. Uh, combined with, with Bradford losing their footing a little bit since uh, Christmas and New Year, uh, and that gap's starting to grow. You mentioned Stockport County there. Stockport obviously on a terrific run. I think that FA Trophy win yesterday was something like their sixth consecutive win, and they kept six clean sheets in those matches as well. So they're you know they're they're, they're hot on their heels, but but surely have got the points in the bag already. So. Um, it's going to be tough to overtake them. Do, do you think Stockport are the biggest threat to Charlie now? I think potentially they are. They, 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 they've got a lot of. They seem to have a lot of belief at the moment, and that thing of not conceding uh, is massive. You know, if you can go into games, keep a clean sheet in the game, that's a, that's at least a point guaranteed, isn't it? And I, and I think it's consistency that's that's going to be the the, the thing ultimately that that um, that wins out. And how you perform against those of the teams around you at the top of the table. I think Stockport beat Bradford Park Avenue 3-0. I can't think if it was at last weekend or the weekend before. And I think those kind of pivotal games when teams in the top eight, nine face one another will, will have a big bearing. And, and for Telford, do you think uh, you're in fourth at the minute? Is, is the focus on the trophy? Is the focus to get in the playoffs and get up to the National League? If you spoke to the manager, you'd probably say the focus is just on the next game. Um, just try to play down expectations as Gavin Cowan. Well, we'd like to be greedy and say we'd like to do something on both fronts. Uh, if I suppose if we're being realistic and looking at it from my point of view, maybe uh, a promotion this season might be uh, too soon. But, you know, if it came, you wouldn't turn it down, would you? In, in terms of what it might mean to the club financially and, and, and adding more supporters to our fan base, you'd think that a, a trip to Wembley might be the thing that would, would would be good. But, you know, hey, let's be greedy. Let's say we want both. I mean, your home record's exceptional as well. One defeat all season, nine wins, three draws. That's been the real plus for you, and that's what's got you up there into fourth. It has, because the away form's been a little bit indifferent at times. I think when, when we've had poor stretches that it's tended to coincide with with away games um, but yeah the home form has been exceptionally strong I think it was only Bradford Park Avenue that have inflicted a defeat on us and, and you know that was a close game that day um, not very much in it um, and, and hopefully we can maintain that to the end of the season I think if we can maintain that strong home form um, particularly when the sides who are up towards the top um, come visiting that'll be important one one thing in our fixture list is we have still got to go to Chorley we have still got to go to Stockport we have still got to go to Bradford Park Avenue Um, so yeah the away form is going to need to be a little bit better but as we saw yesterday that result at Hartlepool they can perform away from home when the the situation's right and what are the results caught your eye in the division Um, looking at yesterday I suppose there were big wins for for Southport particularly having been a goal down at half time uh, to roar back and, and beat Leamington 5-1 and, and Southport are on a tremendous run I think they are the form team in the division at the moment um, we're certainly we're due a trip there in about two weeks time and that's that's one that I'm a little bit nervous about shall we say uh, big win for Curzon Ashton away at Nuneaton as well uh, towards the bottom of the table 4-2 and then uh, FC United of Manchester winning 3-2 at Bradford Park Avenue I don't think many people would have had money on that one but uh, that, that's a great result for them giving them you know, more confidence towards the foot and, and, and just taking the wind out of Bradford sales. Uh, possibly also a point for Goisley at Chester. Uh, they had an Andy Hall sent off in the first half and they were already a goal to the good. But uh, to hold out and get a point against a strong Chester team with just 10 men, that, that, that's, a fair, that's a fair result for Goisley, that one. Yeah, I think FC United, you've got to look at it and say that is the result of the day. To go to Bradford Park Avenue and, and win there, Bradford in good, in good form is... Is, is is the standout result and, and it's weird we're saying about Telford's home farm SC United's away farm's better than their home farm and ultimately that's what could keep them up their away farm in the end yeah and, that, and that's really strange you know it's 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 nice surroundings at, uh, at Broadhurst Park it, it, it's a puzzle that they that they haven't performed better there you know they always get a, 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 a an awful lot of vocal support their fans are very passionate 
um, but it's just not translated into results for them. Um, and, and whether there's just a little bit of pressure off when they go away from home, not quite sure what the answer is. I'm sure if the manager knew, he'd be, um, you know, they'd be higher up the table. But uh, yeah, that, it's a puzzle. So this week, Gateshead were dealt a blow when on Thursday afternoon, Steve Watson left the club to become manager at National League Northside York City. A bit of a blow for everyone up there at the International Stadium. And somebody who we know well on this podcast is Gateshead. We could call him super fan, I suppose, Jeff Kent. And he joins me now. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Luke. So, Jeff, you were waxing lyrical about Steve Watson's work earlier in the season when you spoke to Rob. A real blow for the club now with him walking out this week. Definitely so. Um, it's it's a real shock for not just myself, I think, for all the fans of Gateshead FC, Luke. Really, really disappointing. In terms of, we mentioned names last week that would have been linked with the York job, and Steve Watson was just something that never entered our heads. I mean, what what do you think made him choose to leave Gateshead, who were in and around the playoff places, uh, internationally to go to York City who were languishing eight points off the playoffs in the National League now? Well, uh, I've really got two two questions about that one myself. Look, and perhaps when I, when I mention these questions, you'll be able to get my idea of my way of thinking from that. My, my first question is, why should Steve Watson and Andy's number two, Mickey Cummins, leave a club in eighth place in the National League to go to a club, a league below them in the lower half of the league, who've already sacked two managers this season. Mm. Why have they done that? And and I've got nothing against either of them two chaps, Steve Watson or Mickey Cummins. And my second question that one would be, what, if anything, was done by the, the powers to be at Gates FA to try and tempt them not to go, to try and tempt them to stay? You know, we, I, I think, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, apart from the support as well, I don't think anybody else was bothered about it so. yeah I mean I think the, the way you maybe look at it is say there's bigger crowds there they've maybe got the biggest potential but obviously they're in a league higher gate setting and York aren't at the minute I mean is there anything right. going on behind the scenes that would make Steve Watson think do you know what I can't stay here anymore well we, we've got um, two people running the club just now Um well, w- one person person on the club uh, um, on on a day basis, a bloke called Mike Williams, who's doing the job for a, the, the the chairman who lives over in Hong Kong. I've only ever seen him once this season. If that's what, if, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm not, I couldn't even prove that was a bloke who he was supposed to be. He just mm. showed his face, and that was it. There's also a bloke in the club called Joe Cara, and I think he's uh, well known in, in the football world for. Some of his misdemeanors, I'm led to believe, and um, I, I personally believe, I personally believe Steve Watson's got the offer of going somewhere, his job that one as he can. And, and my personal opinion is, unless something, somebody waves a magic wand, I can't see us surviving much longer. Look, it's it's interesting that you say that. I mean, we'll get onto the future of the club in a minute, but I mean. What you will see is there are a few players at York City that were at Gateshead last year, so Steve Watson will know them, won't he, in terms of like your Wes oh, Yorks yeah. and, and people like that and Jordan Burrow. Yeah, he's got, he's got Wes York, Jordan Burrow, as you say. There will know people there. And I tell, another thing that I'm concerned about is if we, if we should survive the rest of the season, at the end of the season when all the contracts are up, how many other people follow them down to York? Yeah, there's a lot of North East based players at York, so he'll know he'll know of them as well, which uh, so it'll be interesting to see how he does with them. In terms of when you say about the future of Gateshead, I mean what what makes you worry that the club might not exist? Well, I, I, the, the thing being look is that there's I've been going there for quite a while now and, and I've never I've, I've never known as such a successful season as this season for about five or six years. I was I was thinking of Rob earlier on in the season. I got uh, I was talking about that. However, on the on 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 the same score, I've never known such a, such a lack of atmosphere at all. You know, it, 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 the atmosphere is absolutely dire there. We we played Solihull Moors on Tuesday evening, eighth place in the in the National Premier League. And if you subtract the Solihull Moors fans, which I think is about 24 of them, there was less than 500 Gated fans here for an eighth place team, you know. Mm. And they're already talking now about boycotting the club and what have you, so that's going to be even less people turning up. I can't see much of a future. It's maybe me being dismal and, and looking at the blackest things, but I, I honestly. If I, I, I wouldn't be too surprised if I had to look for a new club next season. 
Mm. No, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it is interesting that you say that, and, and hopefully that isn't the case. But in terms of why aren't people coming to watch Gateshead? I know, obviously, on a weekend in Newcastle and Sunderland at home, they may choose to go there. Steve Watson, when he came in, your crowds did go up because he's, he's a well-known figure in the northeast. So why do you think people aren't continuing to watch Gateshead? Uh, well, first of all, I wouldn't blame Newcastle and Sunderland because, I mean, if you go down the likes of the, the Midlands, where you've got Birmingham City, West Bromwich, Albion, um, Aston Villa, Wolverhampton Wanderers, yet killing us the Harriers in a league below us can still pull in over a thousand people, and they've got more competition than we have, you know. Mm. And it, it's, it, it's 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 the actual people of Gates that have got no interest in the football club. I don't know why. I don't know why. I mean, there's not a great deal of advertisement goes on to advertise games. I mean, I got off a bus a couple of seasons ago to get to go to the ground and the bus driver said, is there a match on the day? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's not crazy. Yeah, where you go. But everybody, I mean, they've tried all sorts of things. And they're just not coming. Do you think it's the fact that you play in in an inter, in sort of an athletic stadium? It might be the reason, and you're not in a proper football stadium, maybe. Well, I mean, the people say that. People are asked, saying it. People think that if if we move to a our own stadium, that the crowds will increase. I, I'm not 100 percent sure that would happen. I mean, to start with, if, if we had our own stadium, we'd be bust now anyway with the crowds that we have. You mm. know, we couldn't afford to do that. You know. I don't want you to afford to pay the rent again to the Metropolitan Borough Council for the use of the stadium. And if we had our own ground, just uh, we, we couldn't we couldn't be sustainable. We wouldn't be sustainable. It would be lovely to have our own ground and put that to test. But I think there's more to it than that. I don't know what it is. What annoys me is the fact that, we, you know, we went down at Wembley four or five years ago in the playoffs and we took about 8,000, 10,000 down there. We played Grimsby Town in, in the, the the build up to the Wembley game, and we had eight thousand at home. Uh, we can, we, you know, we took a thousand supporters to West Brom in the FA Cup, but we are there now. Mm. We are people, you know. Um, we have a lot of glory hunters up here. Mm. Well, it's, it's sad to hear that, Jeff. And as you say, do you think the future gates is quite bleak then in your eyes? In, personally, in my own personal opinion. I think it is. I would love to be wrong. I would dearly, dearly love to be wrong. But I know for a fact, in reading on sort of Facebook and on, on, on the media, that I'm not the only person of that opinion. There's quite a few people saying the same thing. Interesting. Well, Jeff, best of luck for the season. Hopefully, Gateshead will survive and they can continue and maybe get in the playoffs and the crowds can go up then. Uh, Jeff, thanks for joining Hopefully. us. So that was Jeff Ken, and he was pretty down in the dumps about Steve Watson leaving for Gateshead but Rich we were talking about it last week saying York need to get this appointment right if they get this appointment right they could realistically push for the playoffs this season and if, if they don't they'll certainly be um, strong next season and that one Steve Watson never even entered our head but what a signing that is for York it is it, it feels like a good fit for them um, Steve Watson obviously you know is a Premier League player enjoyed a terrific career and, and has done fantastically at Gateshead my thought going into this season was that Gateshead would struggle and they've completely proven me wrong and and a lot of that's got to be down to the manager and the kind of the culture he's created there he's, they've obviously looked over at that with envious eyes from York City and, and decided he was their man whether Steve Watson's taken that leap you know based on the the potential of York in the future they've got a new stadium to move to next season whether they can you know get into the playoff picture this season you, you, you'd have to question that a bit with their current form but who knows you know a new manager a new broom players with their futures to play for all of a sudden things can turn around yeah and he did say he's, he's happy to upset the pressure it's probably the biggest club he's, he's managed in terms of no disrespect to Macclesfield the crowds weren't at Macclesfield they're a loyal fan base and it was a a good professional club to be at but York I mean even when they're struggling they get over 2,000 every week at home so the pressure's on and he feels moving to a new stadium is a challenge and that the league club in waiting and I know Rob we discussed York last week and as I say Steve Watson never even entered our head and it's a massive blow that for Gateshead it is a big big blow for, for Gateshead and uh, you know Jeff's a really good guy to get on the show because he's really across everything there and uh you know what a roller coaster it's been for them. Mate. He was enjoying just a few months ago the season of his life, you know, um, and all of a sudden times look quite dark now. I mean, uh, very, very good luck to Gateshead. It's it's such a shame, uh, 
and uh, you know bottom line of course you know without any emotional attachment you look at that and you think well Steve Watson was probably doing as well as he possibly could at Gateshead wasn't he and uh, you know uh, lots of people have tried and failed at York uh, particularly in the last three or four years but uh, you, you have to that, has, that sort of challenge has to be attractive to a manager when the potential's there and others have failed and fair play to uh, for to Steve Watson for showing that ambition and we hope to get an interview with Steve Watson next weekend on the podcast so for Kidderminster Rich as well they parted company with Neil McFarland after last week's defeat at Darlington chairman there Colin Gardens put himself in charge along with senior players uh, Jimmy O'Connor and Ross Penn and a bit of a strange situation they said they're going to take it until the end of the season and, but with Kidderminster slipping out of the playoffs surely they need to get an appointment in now well I think that's that's the point of view that some of their fans have certainly expressed just have, for me having a look on social media I think maybe they felt that, that Colin Gordon taking on the role to the end of the season was almost like raising the white flag in terms of um, looking for a playoff place whether there's more behind it whether they've got somebody in mind and they're not available to the summer I, I, I have no idea about that whatsoever I think expectations are high at Kidderminster having been a, a football league team um, in the not too distant past and having enjoyed a lot of success in the non-league game before that one I think their fans are, are, are accustomed to a certain uh, level of football perhaps they've uh, played a particular style under John Eustace I know Neil McFarlane I think probably tried to make them a little bit more difficult to beat than than they were under John Eustace although the, 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 the footballing aspect under John Eustace was, was terrific yeah it, it's, it's, it's a tricky one I, 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 looking from the outside you, you'd think maybe perhaps they've, they've jumped the gun a little bit there but you know I guess the results will be the thing that will determine that yeah, it was, that, it was funny you say about the playing style, Rich, because the interview with Colin Gordon that he gave after the defeat to Boston on Saturday, he basically said he was embarrassed because they went more direct and, and that didn't suit him. And he, and he basically said that's why we play football, because we've got, not got the players to, to go along and try and bully teams, which is why we try to out-football them instead. I think that's very much the identity they've tried to create at Kinderminster. They've tried to, to, to be um, a footballing side and they've certainly, some of the players that they've attracted, maybe lads who've just been released from professional clubs after a year or so, they've sold Kinderminster to them on the basis of, you know, come here, we're a footballing team, you might get your move back into the football league and that's that certainly happened with some of the players they've got. But I know that one criticism I've heard from Kinderminster fans is, when that's going great it's good you know it's lovely to watch but but when you sort of need a team to dig in and show a bit of grit that that they perhaps didn't have that I recall that I think it was when they were going neck and neck with Foyle for the championship not last season but the season before they I think they led 2-0 at Foyle and then couldn't hold on for the win and the criticism was that they didn't have the players who could you know shut up shop when they needed to it, it's a difficult challenge. Everybody's trying to get that right. Everybody's wanted to play football that's easy on the eye, but everybody also wants to be difficult to beat. So, um, you know, there's probably not a manager in the country who's not struggling with that dilemma. Brilliant. Well, Rich, thanks for joining us, and I'm sure we'll get you on later in the season. And best of luck to Telford in the next coming weeks. Thank you very much indeed, and thanks for having me on. Cheers. And on the line now, we have our, our special guest for this week. It is Slough Town midfielder and kind of regular on the podcast it's Scott Davis hello Scott hello so Scott we're talk- talking about we'll come to the National League South shortly but I know Tom wants to ask you about sort of the strength of the National League South compared to the North so I'll hand you over to Tom yeah Scott um, so one of the recurring themes we have on the podcast really is um, football's nothing without being able to compare your favourites is it and we talk about the strength of the National League South versus the strength of the National League North we look at how well Salford and Harrogate are doing in the National League compared to how Braintree and Haven't are getting on um, and the fact that Hemel Hempstead are now the only representative from the South left in the FA Trophy, while I think the North has, Rob, correct me if I'm wrong, about five. Is that something that players pick up on? Is there perceived to be a difference in strength between the South and the North divisions? And if so, why do you think that might be? It's quite funny you say it, because when I was full-time, and sometimes on a Friday morning, we'd have like a North versus South divide in the, in the changing room camps. And um, we'd play each other in matches, there was a bit of a rivalry I guess and to be honest more often than not the North lads did win uh, it was one of those things they were a little bit more physical um, and then obviously the result I saw yesterday was um, Stockport 5 Truro and I was shocked um, to see it we played Truro a few weeks back and I thought they were a good side 
Um, they play quite well at our place, and I don't think anyone would beat Truro 5 0 in our league. So there is an argument to say that the North is maybe stronger. I think it's a little bit more physical. Um, and then you look at the gates, the size of the um, crowds that they get up there are, are pretty much double the size of the ones that we get. I don't know if the football's loved a bit more nor, more in the North. I'm not too sure, but yeah, Hemel will obviously flying the flag for us. Hopefully they can do well. <laughs> um, but it's a, it's a great competition to be involved in. I was gutted that we went out at an early stage. What you're saying, Scott, is the Southerners are all pretty soft. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's one of those when Martin Cole was one of our old assistant managers at Allshot, which you probably uh, remember well. And uh, he used to call us like Southern, uh, Southern Fairies. We used to go up north sometimes and get beat up and, and stuff like that when we went into League Two. And yeah, we did at times. We did. I think there's a mentality, a culture that you sort of come on our patch and you'll get hurt. And it, sometimes it, it does it does stand up to what people say about it. But yeah, we like to think we can hold our own. But at the moment, obviously with the stats and the teams that are left in it, we can't really fight much of our of our corner, I guess. Do you think that was a factor in the Boreham Wooden and Sutton results then, up at Blythe and Spennymoor? They got absolutely beaten well on Saturday. They're not nice places to go, are they? I don't think anyone would realistically like to go to Blythe Spartans away. But yeah, no, you look at the 16-year-old that played in, in goal for Boreham Wood yesterday, I, I do believe, um, and apparently done really well. And It's just a difficult place to go. I think your back's against the wall straight away, going to anymore and Blythe Spartans you look at South Shields as well I think they've done well over the past few years in different cup competitions um, and I think it's just a culture change it's a bit of a shock you go north of Birmingham and all of a sudden you know you're in for a tough day uh, One of the other factors that I've looked at in terms of the relative strength of the league is how dominant Woking and Torquay seem to be having come down to the National League South where comparatively you don't really see that when teams come down to the North Just on the subject of Woking or Torquay when I've watched them, they'd look to be a bit of a step above most of what's out there in the National League South. Um, how how does that come across on the pitch, and do you see it being a two-horse race? We played Woking at our place, um, and for the first 45 minutes, they were very dominant. I thought they were a good side. They had a lot of energy, a lot of legs about them. Um, but I thought they were there for the taking. We probably should have got a result in the end. The second half, we played really well. Um, last week, we were... Um, holding Torquay goalless at, at half-time. Unfortunately, got a man sent off and we, we ended up getting beat 4-0, which was a bit unfair and I don't think the scoreline did us any favours, to be honest. But I think the best thing that they've now done is get Gary Johnson in charge. Um, he's obviously a man that understands the, um, well, he's a good manager, he's had a good career and whatnot. But the fact that they're full-time as well, they can work on things throughout the week where most of us are doing our Monday to Friday job. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a tricky situation. It's hard for us to kind of um, find the right balance at times. But for them, I think if they weren't in the sort of top two or three, they'd be having a bad season. So I think it's justified where they are in the league. And um, I think they'll remain up the top for for very much uh, till the end. Sure. Um, and, and you've mentioned your day job there, which is definitely something we're going to come back to shortly. But looking, just staying with the teams at the top, Villa Ricky obviously were there for the first four months. They've now lost five in six and seen a huge amount of players out through the exit door. That said, when you look at the squad they put out yesterday, the likes of Alfie Potter, Kieran Cadogan, Moses Emmanuel, do you think that's still a squad that should be able to challenge for the title? There's still a long way to go. I think a lot of clubs now are probably settling for the idea of getting into the playoffs um, and being the fortunate team that can go up from that. Um, I think there's probably 10 teams that are maybe fighting for um, six playoff places um, maybe 10-12 teams it's still still very tight I know players like Alfie Potter that I played with Oxford United and he's a great player um, and probably should still be playing league football um, but I think he made the decision to go part time but they'll be um, a force to be reckoned with still from now to the end of the year um, there's no doubt about that um, and it's like you say there's, there's teams in our league one of the best teams we've played at bottom of the league in Western Supermare so it's finding the right balance just being able to win win games and win, win ugly at times and I think sometimes players that have been in the conference south for a little bit longer than those that haven't kind of get over the line a little bit more easily like yesterday we won very very ugly um, in terms of backs against all second half but um, we don't mind doing it that way as long as we get the result and we stay in around the playoffs then, then happy days Scott I just wanted to ask you quickly about Bill Ricky. I mean what's the word on the circuit, if you like, you know, you know, players who you're playing with now and who you've played against. Well, I had a brief call a couple of years ago um, about interest of going there, and it's one of those. I think at the time, everyone was sort of getting attracted to the money that they were throwing around. 
Um, but like I say, it, is, it isn't sustainable. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. Um, they've got two good managers in there, Dino and Stu, that I know quite well. Um, and I know that they won't be going into games lightly. I know that they're quite fiery people, um, good managers, and they've got a good record at each level. So I fully expect them to sort of get back up and running. But the thing is, you, you look at their squad on paper, um, and it's as good as any in the league. So I think every team in the in the south, the north, they have their good days and bad days. And we went for a bit of a tricky spell in the last few weeks, where we lost a couple on the balance. And we're not used to that as a squad. And I think the only thing you can do to try and rectify it is by winning the next game. Um, and I, I'm sure they'll be doing that sooner rather than later. But I fully expected them to be in and around it. But you look at your your talkies and your wokings that I think are. Um, more established I think they're probably they've got players that play together for longer they're more probably more cohesive as a team so um, rightly so that they're up the top of the league Yeah, talking about yourself and, and your squad you lost your top scorer James Dobson to Sutton United this week which is going to obviously impact the side just how important was it that you beat promotion rivals Chelmsford particularly after they've won their last four um, and really kept yourself in the mix in the playoffs yeah, every time we're in the change room, we just say, listen, try and stay in the pack. Um, we're going quietly, quietly about our business. Um, we're not shouting from the rooftops so we're going to make the playoffs because it's still a very, very hard feat um, to try and get in there. Um, we lost Dobbo, obviously, to Sutton, who's been outstanding for us. Um, and we've had to change our way of playing slightly. He's quite a good um, out ball in terms of hitting him on a big diag for the keeper. He's good in the air. Um, and it got us out of trouble at times. Um, but we've changed formation. Um, a little bit more solid from from back to front in terms of starting from the back and having to go forward a, a bit more in a bit more of a passing manner. Um, and yesterday we came off the pitch. We said it's probably the most enjoyable game of football we've had all season. Um, we felt like we were in a dogfight in the second half, but the first half, some of the football we played was enjoyable to be part of. So it's obviously a massive loss for for us, but I, he's been he's been brilliant. So I hope he does go and do well at the next level. Um, but for me obviously it was a nice feeling to beat my old side um, I could have been two leagues um, apart from Chelmsford when I left, left in February I chose to leave um, they were in the playoffs and Slough in the playoffs in the league below so if we hadn't have gone up and Chelmsford had um, they would have been two leagues above me now which would have hurt me but to do the double over them this season has been good Yeah, I've got to say I've only seen Slough Town once this season um, against Torquay uh, where I thought you were very impressive I spoke to yourself and your manager after the game and you both talked about resilience and making it hard for teams to play against you. I've got to say, I've been hugely impressed by how Slough have adapted to the league. Do you, do you think playoffs are a realistic ambition? Oh, definitely. Most definitely. I'm, I'm not saying that we're going to do it, but we have to have ambition. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't go and play football on a Saturday. Um, if we didn't have that ambition, it would just be a waste of my time going to play football because it's what gets me through the week in terms of my release I look forward to it every week when I'm not playing I'm, I'm the worst person to be around so yeah if, if you don't have ambition in life what's the point of doing it so it's one of those we're probably the most hard working team I've ever played in we, we, we graph for each other we know our jobs we're like a functioning machine um, and yesterday one of the lads came in the change room after and he said be good at being rubbish when we were 1-0 ahead we made the game ugly um, we saw the game out there was a little bit of time wasting and play ta- um, tactics I suppose but everyone does it against us when they're in front so why can't we do the same just moving down the table now um, there are four sides who are you know, occupying the bottom four slots Hungerford East Thurrock Gloucester and Western Supermare three of those four sides are the ones that we on this podcast predicted to be down the bottom at the beginning of the season they're not picking up points Gloucester drew with Hungerford yesterday can you see any of them you know, if you had to pick one of them to pull away, which one of them would you look at and why? Um, well, I'd like it to be um, Hungerford, if I'm brutally honest. Um, I know the manager down there is a really good guy, Ian Herring. Um, and they've got a really young, hungry squad that gave us a good enough game at our place. We were fortunate to win 2 0. But it's one of those clubs that they've had a tough time of things. I don't think the budget's huge, but they've, they've got some good people down there, and I'd, I'd really like to see them pull away. But you look at Gloucester um, they've got quite a big catchment area where they are and they've got some also got some good players as well but um, it's tough it's tough to pick up points in this league um, and the thing is you need to get two or three wins on the balance to be able to see any sort of progress you could win one lose one and then the next thing you know you haven't really moved because teams around you are picking up points but it's it's um, it's a topsy-turvy league it's, it's tough but there's so many points still to play for so 
um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there'll be a lot of uh, twists and turns yet. Just one last question on the, on the South League before we move on to your to your work. Um, you've obviously played at a high level. You've been a professional for a long period of your career. Are there any players that you've come up against this season who you really think, wow, that guy's going to have a career in the professional game? Um, when I was writing for the non-league paper, I, I wrote an article that, about three players that I believe could make the step, step up to league football. Um, two of them so far have gone on to sign professional terms, one in Scotland um, and Dale Grubb at uh, Forest Green. And I've heard he's done really well. Um, there's some really, really good young players. There's, there's one lad at Western Supermare that I thought was outstanding. Um, his name's Jared. I'm not sure of his surname. Can't think of his surname right now. Um, but he was very good. I think he's only 19 still. The lad at Woking um, was good on his day. I think his name's Greg Lura. Um I've not, too, not seen too much of him, but I thought he was really good. Um, and the other player that I've probably come up against the like face-to-face in midfield was a lad on loan from um, Oxford United. Um, Armani Little that I thought was was a very good player also um, but like you said there's, there's so many um, hidden gems I think in this league I think the problem that you do get is maybe a little bit of consistency from their performances week in week out um, they might give you an 8 or a 9 one week but being young you might get a 4 or a 5 but that's part of being in football Rob will tell you that when I was mm. at all the shop at 19 years old there were games where um, people would have carried me out of the ground in terms of like yeah you're excellent today Scotty but there were other games where people were probably thinking, how's he a professional footballer? So you take the rough with the smooth, um, but it's just it's just about enjoying enjoying your football, I think, expressing yourself, and then people get to see the best of you. Absolutely, and that's actually a, a really nice segue, because talking about the best of you, um, we wanted to ask you about your, your new role, um, your day job, for want of a better phrase, uh, working for Epic Risk Management. There's been a lot of talk over the last couple of years about the prevalence of betting in sport, in football, um, the sort of the ubiquity of betting advertising companies. Just tell us a little bit about what that role is and, and what you're hoping to bring back to the game with it. Yeah, so what it is is um, when I went to rehab in 2015 for gambling, I became the public speaker for the rehabilitation clinic. Um, so I found myself going to uh, conferences and events um, and more often than not going to football clubs to deliver my personal story. One day I was fortunate enough to speak up in London at an event and my boss, um, now at Epic Risk Management, was sat in the audience. He told me that they had a new contract with um, Skybet in the English Football League where they were going to go and educate first-team players from the Championship down to League 2. And he wanted me to come on board and sort of run with it, go and tell my story. So that's what I do now. Um, I've got to go to every um, Football League club once a season for the next five years. So they'll get bored of me eventually, I think. But it's been brilliant for me. It's, it keeps me uh, on the right track, keeps me sane. Um, so tomorrow afternoon, I'll be Aston Villa uh, talking to the first-team players up there. I've been sceptical at times about going into some of the bigger clubs. I didn't earn as big as money as what some of they are. Um, but I went to Middlesbrough the other week, for example, and I've never met such a good bunch of lads. Um, I sat in, well, stood in front of a, a group of maybe 25 or 30 players that are earning absolute bucket loads. Um, but they were really good they really welcome in and they listen to your story and they take something from it so what we do now is give the opportunity to players um, to speak out if they are struggling with gambling um, and stats show that there's there's, a, there's definitely a problem um, at some of the club and we, we're able to help them so it's um, it's been really good Is that a case of when you say speak out do you get them to speak out in confidence do you say look we can have a one on one chat rather than do it in front of the other lads Yeah so they they sort of come forward after the session Um, I leave my details they get in touch with me and then I point them in the right direction to our treatment provider which is um, Sporting Chance which is a clinic set up by Tony Adams in 2000 so yeah no it just gives them the opportunity the the whole time that I was playing football I was gambling um, and I kind of suffered in silence Mm people used to say to me that when you got on the pitch you, you must have forgotten about all your problems because you, you were playing really well and you didn't I, I took all my problems everywhere I went with me and it's one of those bittersweet feelings that I'm over gambling now I, I'm in a good place um, but I just think to myself well if I had a bit of a clearer mind and I wasn't struggling and worrying about things off the pitch um, maybe I could have done it even a little bit better and it's just one of those things I was in a bad place at the time and to be where I am now I think it's 43 months now without a bet um, I'm grateful for the help I received and the mindset I'm in now. It's a good reminder of where I was at just just over well just under four years ago. Um, I was in an awful place, um, having sort of lost my career. I was losing people around me that didn't want to be 
saw part of my life because I wasn't a nice person and then obviously the money as well I lost almost a quarter of a million pounds um, over the time that I was gambling so it had its detrimental effect on me um, but if I if I was to go back and have a bet now I wouldn't be able to fulfil the job that I do um, so it keeps me on the straight and narrow and I, be, I believe I've got the best job in the world I know it's so cheesy or cliche I suppose to say it but I, I do believe that I, I go and do a tour for 45 minutes at these clubs um, I'm welcomed with open arms and the lads seem to be getting quite a lot from it so um, it's something I'm honestly so grateful to be able to do um, and I'll, to be honest I, I remind my boss of that quite often um, I can't believe sort of where I was to where I am now yeah long may it continue you're still obviously playing we, we, we don't see your name on the score sheet too much but I understand you're a you're a more mature player now you like to sit a little bit further back and pull the strings but you're still enjoying your football at the moment but this new job now it's going to go a long way isn't it to helping you to to cross that bridge that a lot of footballers hate and dread when that dreaded day comes when when, when you're not uh, having the game to look forward to on the weekend yeah like I was playing at Dunstable Town um, and I was pretty much full time at Dunstable Town because they were paying me a wage that um, enabled me to live without working the Monday to Friday 9 to 5 and then for a couple of years I had it where it was quite tough I was getting bored at home I wasn't sure what to do Um, I'd stopped gambling which was sort of 9, 10, 11 hours of my day so I had to try and fill that Um, and then obviously with this job um, opportunity arising um, it's been really good but I chat to a lot of players that try and make that transition and it's so difficult to make um, I talk to players and until it hits home and when you're in that predicament of what do I do next um, you don't really understand how hard it is say what's, what are you doing in, in front of us um, at 30 years old which is still young enough you shouldn't have been through what you've been through in terms of some of the stories that I tell but it does hit home with them which is which is good so um, no I'm very very fortunate mate in that respect so um, yeah it's, it's been it's been a breath of fresh air for me just a quick question for me Scott you mentioned obviously you're in partnership with Skybet there's a lot around at the minute about these these betting companies that are readily available online and advertising and stuff like that I mean do you think that affects uh, everyone not just footballers but in day to day life do you think that needs to be cut back a bit like it was with the tobacco you know when tobacco companies didn't sponsor sport and eventually you think maybe that needs to come into to actually in terms of shirt sponsorships and things like that I think it will have its part to play um, I think you will see um, it being decreased or limited now people say to me surely online um, and sort of adverts during games doesn't help anyone Um, and it reminds people to go and have a bet the problem was um, I can laugh and joke about it now I was already in the bookies I didn't need to be reminded that um, I needed to put a bet on the game at half time and Harry Kane to score next Um, these adverts I didn't see because I was already in there sat on the roulette machine whilst watching horse racing so um, yeah for me it's a bit bit different Um, but we've, we've all got our duty of caring everywhere of life I think whether it's alcohol drugs gambling we need to look out for one another but the problem with gambling being in the secret addiction um, it's tough for people to maybe notice it sometimes um, and then eventually someone might hit their rock bottom and you, people turn around and say oh, I didn't realise how bad it was and hopefully people speak out about their problems sooner rather than later and that way we can sort of cure their problem um, rather than have to deal with the sometimes um, well the fatal effects of it because it's such a high risk in terms of suicide in men under 50 addiction and then obviously the biggest suicide from any addiction uh, the stats say is gambling because it's a horrible way to live if you can't afford to go and buy a loaf of bread or a pint of milk um, then it's not nice it's not nice to be in that sort of that vicious circle I guess Scotty just a final thing very quickly uh, if any of our listeners to the podcast all right, they're not going to necessarily some of them might be footballers some of them might just be non-league fans if they've got issues with gambling what's the best uh, way for them to get in touch well Gamcare um, is one online that they can a company that they can speak to where they can get advice and they can get help um, there's gamblers anonymous meetings all around the country where you can go and sit in a room with like-minded people um, and sort of understand uh, the depths and the strengths I suppose of of gambling addiction um, and then the other thing is just to reach out to somebody um, I'm all over social media and you'd be amazed how many football fans like you say um, get in touch with me and, and say listen I've seen your story I don't understand how you've gone so long without a bet I'm really struggling um, and I talk to them it's no um, no worry of mine wasting um, five ten minutes of my time because I get a lot from it I love helping people out um, people apologise for them um, calling me up or messaging me on social media and the first thing I say is don't be stupid um, I can say if you're suffering in silence that's the worst thing you can do so 
a problem shared is problem halved. Um, and if people are struggling, just just reach out to somebody you can trust, confide in, and share your problems with somebody else. Because to try and do it by yourself sometimes seems like a magnanimous task, and it's just hard. Yeah, reach out, tell someone about it, and deal with it um, accordingly. I guess traditionally, like you read with players, you read a lot about card schools on the way to games, and the, like with the you know the old school English football mentality. As you go around the clubs, is the gambling more an issue that you see with the English players, or it's the foreign players that are? league clubs is gambling a problem with them as well no you'd, you'd be absolutely shocked um, it's all sorts of players I think there is a, a mentality with um, British players um, however there's, there's players all over Europe um, I know that gambling in places like Holland is quite high so yeah it's, it, there's no sort of um, set criteria to someone who's gambling um, you say about card schools it'd be quite interesting for Rob as a fan there was one game where we played at Bournemouth away on a Tuesday night in League Two. Mm. I'm not sure if you went to it where we got beat two nil. I was there um, on the way. Yeah, on the way to the game, there was one hand of poker that we played on the coach, and it was six and a half thousand pound on the hand. And when we got to the ground, I think there was a case of four or five players not speaking to each other because they were upset about how the hand had gone people had lost a lot of money someone had won a lot of money and it completely disjointed us that, that night and we played the match in silence pretty much because people had fallen out of one another and then you've got obviously fans paying to travel to Bournemouth away to see a team that had no sort of togetherness no sort of solidity in terms of what we were trying to achieve that night because of what happened pre-match um, and £6,500 is a, is a hell of a lot of money to a league to team that were probably earning I don't know seven eight hundred pound a week um, on average so you can just see the enormity of um, the bets that were being placed and it's just something that completely broke us that night and had its effects for a little bit longer after that also well oh, thanks for sharing Scotty <laughs> I, I, that, that really does touch a nerve because I remember making a, a real trip of that game and that really that really brings it home Hi my name's Steve Claridge you're listening to the NL Full Time Podcast On Saturday I headed down to the south coast to watch West Sussex take on East Sussex in the Step 3 Bostic Isthmian League Premier Division Worthing that there would Side Road home were hosting Lewis from just 22 miles west along the A27. Founded in 1886, the Rebels of Worthing gained their nickname when they resigned from the West Sussex League in protest at a 1920 rule change. 99 years later, they find themselves playing at their joint highest level under manager Adam Hinchelwood, and as a club, in a very positive place. Hinchelwood, who arrived in West Sussex in 2017 for his second spell as manager, has overseen a real change in fortunes and mentality at the club, who boasts the highest average attendance, 1,009, in the Bostick Premier, and indeed the third highest nationally at Step 3. A 65% increase in crowds from last season shows the direction of travel, and the league possession tells its own story as well. Having finished 16th last season when they had a terrible start to the campaign, the Rebels were sitting in 6th coming into this match, but they could go 2nd by winning their games in hand. A difficult run of 4 losses in 5 seemed to have been overcome, with 7 points taken from their last 3 games. The visitors, Darren Freeman's rooks, have experienced a comfortable return to the Bostic Prem this far. Finishing 2nd behind Carsholton Athletic in the Division 1 South, Lewis gained automatic promotion and have adapted well. A club who have risen as high as the Conference Premier since being founded at the Royal Oak Pub back in 1885, last year's promotion ended two years at Step 4. Famous for the atmosphere at their Dripping Pan Stadium, but also for their Equality FC initiative to tackle homelessness, Lewis are seen as a progressive club, and rightly so. Their women's team play in the second tier nationally, and the club are the highest ranked in the English system to pay both men and women equally. An important match for both clubs, Lewis also needed to break their own iffy patch of form. They hadn't won in four and would need to start picking up points to maintain their own playoff tilt. 1,124 fans crammed into the Woodside Road for this game made all the more impressive when you consider that Brighton were hosting Liverpool just down the road, a factor that often impacts on non-league attendances. As for the match itself, Worthing started much the brighter and could have gone ahead early, but when England College's 17-year-old Ricky Aguiar was debatably sent off as last man, Lewis soon went ahead through an absurd 55-yard James Hammond free kick. Ollie Pierce's responding free kick and Charlie Coppola's fine finish meant Lewis led 2-1 at the half and then extended that lead through Luke Bluden early in the second. Jalen Jones, on his second start and getting his second goal, pulled one back to make it 3-2 and then substitute Callum Overton scored a calm fourth in injury time before Worthing's Darren Budd was sent off for dissent while Worthing were being awarded a penalty. Ollie Pierce dispatched the penalty, meaning that nine men Worthing ended up losing 4-3 against Lewis. 
Worthing also lost three players to injury in this match, having already had seven in the stands watching the game due to injury. They slipped down to eighth in the table, whilst Lewis have risen to second, eight points behind first place Harangi Borough, themselves first timers at this level. And that is all for this week. Cheers, guys. Yeah, cheers, yeah. cheers guys. Speak to you all soon. Cheers, guys. Thanks for joining us, Rob. Cheers now. Thanks for joining us, Tom. Cool. Catch you later, mate. Cheers. See you later. Thank you for joining us on the NL Full Time podcast. Don't forget, if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at NL Full Time. We're also on Facebook. NL Full Time. You can email us nlfulltime at gmail.com and don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify and you'll get every episode uploaded to your phone on Monday morning. Until then, happy football watching and we'll see you all next week.